It is 5pm, it's 5pm uh, here in Salford. Good afternoon to you, I hope all is well with you and yours uh, this uh, Thursday afternoon. Lovely day again in the northwest of the UK. I'm Richie Allen, the BBG, and I've got some news for you, some news. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, it is me and you, me and Z, for the next, uh, I don't know, 90 minutes, two hours. We'll see how it goes this Thursday. I'd like to talk to you. Please reach out to me via the website, my website, or the app. Many people have downloaded the app for the show now. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for downloading the app. Send a message directly through to the studio with your thoughts on on today's talking points. Now, you don't have to talk to me about today's talking points. You can put something into the mix yourself. Anything you'd like me to discuss, get in touch with me. Do it now. Do it now. Do it now. Yeah, lovely. Lovely weather. The weather, man, women, man, woman. They've not been very accurate of late, have they? It was supposed to be very, very miserable yesterday and today. And it hasn't been. It's been okay. And that's very good news for people who have travelled here to watch the Ashes cricket third, fourth, third. Is it the fourth? It's the fourth test, you big baldy swine. Yeah, so it's good. It's good. Lots of people around. Lots of cricket fans around. And they're in good form. And in fine voice as well. So they are staying around locally. As we're not too far from the ground here in Salford. Yes, I've had a decent enough day myself. I've been beavering away and keeping an eye on the test match as I do. They don't come around too often, you see. The Ashes series. It's a thing that I'm into. You might not be into it, but but there you are. So I've given you the contact details. Reach out. There's something on your mind. Just let me know. There is lots to cover. So let's just jump straight in and start covering stuff then. Instead of flanneling. Flanneling. Enough of your flannel now. I was told often in my school days. Right, so ministers, government ministers, are, if we are to believe this, if we do believe it, are considering putting extra conditions on banking licences over the Nigel Farage row. Right, he was banking with Coots, they closed his account, they said he didn't have enough money in it, they were found to be lying. They cancelled him at the bank because they didn't like his opinions, they didn't like his views, right? Okay, so we know this now. So the BBC says that government sources have told it, the BBC, that the possibility of putting conditions on banking permits was being explored, but no decision has yet been taken. So banks would be required to explain, if ministers have their way, banks would be required to explain why an account is being shut and give a longer notice period under tougher rules to be brought in, according to the BBC. And the Times newspaper is uh, all over this as well, right? So the Times is reporting that licences could be stripped from banks in order to protect customers' right to free speech. Now, we spoke about this yesterday, and I think we talked about it on Tuesday also. So we have your high street banks, we have building societies. Those are the institutions we would be most accustomed to dealing with, I suppose. But in recent years... There are a number of different things like PayPal, right? Different types of financial companies where you can conduct financial transactions and use 
the facilities to to pay for things and to transfer money and what have you. So PayPal. The reason I mentioned this is because there hasn't yet been any mention of companies like PayPal, which isn't really a bank, but it is. But it's not a bank in the traditional sense. And I have an interest in this, of course, because I got the financial ombudsman to try their very best to get an answer from PayPal as to why my account was closed a couple of years ago. But PayPal told the ombudsman at the time, we don't have to give anybody any explanation. All we got to do is say, you're in breach of our guidelines, which are vast and numerous and what have you, right? So no mention yet of PayPal, the online payment facilitators, just the banks, okay. Uh, Yesterday, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak tweeted, didn't he, that shutting someone's account because of their views was, quote, wrong, end quote, and then he said free speech was, quote, cornerstone of our democracy, end quote. Now, he's a lying bastard, Rishi Sunak. He wouldn't know the first thing about free speech. Uh, No government has ever done more to suppress free speech than his government did, than his government did during uh, the period of 2020 in particular. We know what they did. They went to great lengths to ban or to encourage media organisations to prevent any discussion of whether or not COVID justified lockdowns. His government went out in great numbers. They worked day and night to prevent freedom of speech and they suppressed free speech every opportunity that came their way. So this idea that this particular government wants to preserve free speech, I take that with a fairly massive pinch of salt, right? Now, this came up on Politics Life today, but before it did, and before we hear any of it, here's Farage himself speaking earlier to a Times radio. Joe Bloggs says something on Facebook that doesn't align with the bank's values and purpose, whatever that's supposed to mean, mm. they now face the danger of being closed down. And this may sound an exaggeration, but I mean it. If this isn't nipped in the bud, we are heading towards a Chinese communist-style social credit system because, you know, if you're debanked, you cannot exist. You become a non-person. You know, try but and go can't you find an account, a bank account elsewhere? Well, I mean, this is, this is the problem. This isn't just NatWest and Coots. You know, this whole new woke corporatism has extended so deep into our big financial industry that I've now been refused by 10 other banks. I mean, it really is a truly extraordinary state of affairs. But NatWest say they offered you another account. Uh, again, the coot spin. From the start, I was given two months' notice to go, all right? And at no point was I offered any alternative within the group until literally five to seven on the evening when I said, I'm going to go on GB News and expose this. And at five to seven, I get a phone call saying, NatWest can give you a personal account. Right, but he wanted a business account. Nigel Farage speaking with Times Radio there about the closure of his account by the bank Coots and what that might mean going forward. Again, I have to mention this. It isn't about me, but I've got to mention this. This has been happening to people going back five, six, seven, eight years. Google did it to us. They deleted the YouTube channel when it was making money. And at the time, people like Nigel Farage didn't want to know about it. They had nothing to say about it. And this is usually the way of it. People have got nothing to say until it happens to them. We were warning about this years ago, that this reality would 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 manifest 
you know, where not just banks, not just financial services, but that other service providers in all walks of life would begin to deny people service based on the notion that the person has got some un, you know, has got has got some views that are considered unpalatable or even untenable. That's how it's going to be. This is the Richie Allen Show, eight and a half minutes past the hour, Thursday's programme. Now, as I said, it came up on BBC Politics Live. It's a panel show which takes place every afternoon. Politicians appear on it. The presenter is a woman called Joe Coburn. And Angela Eagle was on today, Labour Party um, dame these days, Dame Angela Eagle, um, once ran for the leadership of the Labour Party, you might remember, was defeated by Jeremy Corbyn. She's in the House of Lords maybe these days. I said that already, but I'm just double-checking. Is she still sitting as an MP, Angela Eagle? Anyway, look, she's a very cunning linguist, is Angela, and she hates Farage. So listen to Joe Coburn from, from Politics Live. Give a little summary and then a question for Angela Eagle. Coots, there you can see the quote. He is seen as xenophobic and racist. He is considered by many to be a disingenuous grifter. Being associated with Nigel Farage presents a material and ongoing reputational risk to the bank. Uh, do you agree with Coots, um, Angela? Well, I mean, my comments on Nigel Farage, um, you know, are probably well known. I think that they've got a point. Angela Eagle is a fascist, right? It might sound very, very, very unfair and unkind to say that, but she's a fascist. Eagle is delighted at the notion that her enemies people she doesn't particularly like, can be silenced or can be cancelled. At no point will she answer Joe Coburn's question and just be honest and say, yes, Coots are right to cancel his account. She goes a long way to avoiding answering it, but you can tell Angela Eagle thinks it's a good idea. My comments on Nigel Farage, um, you know, are probably well known. I think that they've got a point. Uh, but the, the thing is that um, I think that he's now got a... They've got a point, she said huge platform to complain about not being allowed to bank at one of the poshest banks in the country. I think they offered him a NatWest account. Why didn't he take that? Right, but should a bank, should a private company decide their customers they do it on, all the the basis, time. on the basis of their views? They do it all the time, private companies. We, we haven't but ever is it right? had... Look, we haven't ever had a law in this country which demands that an individual, whoever they are, be given an access. I mean, there are 10 million people oh. in this country that are unbanked, I'm more worried about them, and it goes back to what Dave was just saying about his bank, than whether Nigel Farage can have a posh Coots account or a NatWest account. Should uh, should private companies like this be making those sorts of judgments? I find it very odd that... Uh, and this is Robert Buckland, a Tory MP and former Justice Secretary. Uh, legitimate views that we have about you know each other, and, and there's a lot of things I disagree with Nigel Farage on, uh, upon, are then used as the basis to withhold services. You know, this, this person, Nigel Farage, was, was a customer of them for a long time. Mm. If, if these documents which, which, which he's, he's, he's had are right, then that does show a rather arbitrary way of dealing with this issue. And the government is right to ask the FCA to look again at the rules on this, because that doesn't seem to me to be, um, you know, a, a rational basis to, 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 to grant or withhold so, banking so services. So the FCA has now become the Farage um, <clears throat> Conduct Authority, has it? 
I mean, he's one person. What about the 10 million people? I think, well, I think, I think, I think it's a, wi- I think it's a wider ones. principle that's cases. going on here. Yeah, Angela Eagle doesn't give a damn about 10 million people. She more or less says that Coates should be able to cancel somebody's account, close them down, and that other banks should be able to, or should be entitled to, if they choose, to tell somebody, we don't want your business, we're closing your account, or refusing to grant you to open an account for you because of your opinions. Fascism comes in so many different forms these days, doesn't it, Angela Eagle? The time is 12 minutes past the hour. A spare a thought for Grace Ann, who's been in touch with us. A little bit of bad news. Sorry to hear this, Grace Ann. Her son is on holiday in Barcelona and was on a train which was um, attacked by thugs. They stole his bag, which had his passport and other stuff in it, and they jumped straight back off the train. It's a complete nightmare for him, says Grace Anne. I would appreciate good thoughts sent his way to enable him to get home safely. Uh, thanks, says Grace Anne. Yeah, we'll send out some positivity, Grace Anne, to your lad. That's a horrible thing to happen to anybody. It um, should be the time of his life, really, travelling around Europe, travelling in Spain. But um, I hope he'll be okay and I hope he'll get over it pretty quickly. It must have been a nasty experience. Thanks for that, Grace Anne. Um, somebody is a boy cub is asking me about Alex Belfield. I don't know anything about that, to be honest with you. Alex Belfield is somebody who used to work in commercial radio. Did he? Did he work for the BBC? Um, I'm I'm not sure. He he was sent to prison. I think the chap was sent to prison because he was found guilty of stalking, of stalking Jeremy Vine. I'm I'm thinking off the top of my head while I'm trying to open the article, Mr. Bicub or Mrs. Bicub. Um, here it is. I've got it open now. Uh, the BBC is reporting that Alex Belfield, the headline reads, Stalker, ex-BBC DJ, agrees to pay Jeremy Vine damages. Belfield was jailed in September for five and a half years for harassing people online, including the BBC Radio 2 presenter, who launched separate civil action over Belfield's campaign of harassment. Yeah, at the time it was claimed that Belfield made false allegations in YouTube videos and tweets published in 2020. So the BBC is reporting that Belfield has agreed to pay damages to Jeremy Vine. That's interesting. I didn't really follow that story at the time because I I watched one episode of Alex Belfield's show a couple of years ago. Didn't do an awful lot for me and I had, you know, I had a particular opinion, which I kept to myself about it and and kind of moved on. I didn't realise he'd been stalking Jeremy Vine. Anyway, listen, more from um, Politics Live, including Angela Eagle, in a few minutes' time, maybe. Um, Yes, because there's another very interesting story about COVID rule breakers and a backlog of cases which have yet to be heard. People accused of breaking the rules during the COVID lockdowns. It's very interesting. We'll come to it in a few minutes time. In the meantime, it's quarter past the hour. You are sending me your comments. Thank you very much. You're very kind. And I will read them and we'll move on and talk about other things after a tune from the Ramones. This is Sheena is a punk rocker on the Richie Allen Show. Yeah, the amazing Ramones, Sheen is a punk rocker on the Richie Allen Show, 18 minutes past 5 o'clock this Thursday, the 20th of July, 2023. 
Uh, Jenny sends best wishes to Grace Anne and her son in Barcelona. He will get over it. It's a nasty thing, but he'll get over it. Faisal says, and it's a very important point here, evening, he says, funny private companies are forced to make a cake for gay weddings, which they conscientiously disagree with. But a bank can do what it likes for purely political reasons. That's a very good point. Indeed it is. Pandora says, Richie, I popped to a local shop and I wished I had a camera on me or a smartphone as the skies are incredible over Stockport right now. A true blend of the natural cloud formations we grew up, taught about and the unnatural chemtrail mixture of weirdness. All amidst the hell of a halo around the burning ball of sun. Wherever it really is, it's truly unheavenly skies in perfect duality. Lots of spraying going on, says Pandora. Yeah, yeah. I, To be honest, I haven't noticed it in these parts of late. It's been pretty normal, or it appears to be pretty normal, but very good. Thank you for that, uh, Pandora. David reached out to say, Richie, I remember when, I think it was Sky News, wanting to interview you regarding your comments on climate lockdowns. It doesn't seem as unlikely now as it might have done back then, as they are pushing the climate nonsense more and more on the mainstream media now, seeding people's minds for future restrictions. Thanks, David. What it was, was back in November of 2021, somebody called Sanya Burgess reached out to me from Sky News and said, I'm doing a report which will also be on the website about um, about um, conspiracy theorists who who talk about things like, like climate lockdowns and stuff and you seem to be the guy talking about climate lockdowns. So they asked me to respond to it, which I did. Um, they wrote on their website at the time, broadcaster Richie Allen um, pulls in thousands of listeners on his main platform, blah, blah, blah. His coverage includes claims that although COVID is real, there is no pandemic and the COVID-19 jab is dangerous. It's pretty much what I said. There's nothing wrong with that. Alan has increasingly spoken and written about climate lockdowns, including on a recent post on his site. He writes, didn't I say last year that climate lockdowns would be a thing? I did. I said it in March, April 2020. I said, this is in the Sky article, that Sunday driving would be rationed as well as certain foods. In response to Sky News article, Mr. Allen said he believes climate lockdowns will be introduced at some point in the future and that governments will impose restrictions on people's movements, including banning driving at certain times. Yeah, I haven't seen this for a long time, but it's interesting. And then I said to Sky something along the lines of um, that I interview academics from accredited universities who agree with me, um, obviously something that Sky News wasn't doing. Yes, it is kind of ironic that they were taking the piss back in 2021 about the notion, or they were they were lampooning the idea of climate lockdowns, and now we're pretty much all but there. We'll talk about it in a moment, actually, because there was an interesting conversation on BBC Radio 4's Today programme earlier on. I think you'll be interested in. In fact, we'll do it now. We'll do it now. We're on the subject now. So this is according to the BBC. A leading British climate scientist that doesn't mean anything, has told the BBC he believes the target to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius will be missed. Professor Sir Bob Watson, former head of the UN's climate body, 
told the BBC's Today programme he was pessimistic. Let's listen to some of that interview. The guy conducting it is called Amol Rajan. The interviewee, as I've just said, Sir Bob Watson, former head of the Intergovernmental Committee, no, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Yeah, that's right. Here he is. Not well at all. We've already. I should set it up a little bit better than that. The first question from the presenter was, how is the government doing in terms of reaching its net zero targets? Not well at all. We've already warmed the planet 1.2 degrees Celsius and the pledges that the governments have made are not going to reach the Paris target. Indeed, with the pledges today, we're on a pathway probably of at least two and a half degrees Celsius and potentially even more. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, an, an anonymous survey of IPCC authors by the journal Nature in 2021, nearly two years ago now. Why would you conduct an anonymous survey of the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel um, on Climate Change? Why would it be anonymous? What have they got to hide these people who are surveyed to talk about how serious or to discuss how serious they think climate change is? Why the anonymity? Again, journalism is dead, right? Found more than 75% of those who responded thought heating would reach or exceed 2.5 degrees Celsius by the end of the century. There is a danger here, isn't there, that the various warnings that 1.5 degrees are going to be missed don't seem to prompt the sort of action necessary to stick to 1.5 degrees. Wow, did you hear that? So we, we, we got a survey from people and they're anonymous. We didn't we didn't name them. They said that the planet will probably warm by 2.5 degrees this century and the presenter says, um, are you not concerned that we're not going to take the necessary measures to prevent this? This is astonishing. They have definitely not stimulated the governments and the private sector to do what we require. There's a meeting coming up later this year, COP28. We have to hope that governments will make the pledges. But to be honest, we need more than pledges. We need to know what actions will actually help to reduce the emissions of greenhouse gases so we can limit human-induced climate change. What sort of actions? This is the $64 million question. What actions are you talking about? Let's see, does the host delve into this? And in terms of motivating the kind of behaviour that you want to see, at the government, the neighbourhood or the individual level. Should we stick with a 1.5 degree target, even though it may be, or it looks like it's forecast, you say, to be missed? Or should we inject a, a dose of realism and say, look, forget it, we're not going to hit 1.5, but let's try our best to limit temperature rises to, say, 2.5? This is really interesting because this is something that Julia Hartley Brewer, a presenter on Talk TV, has been saying for some time. There's some merit to this. If you told us, as you did, that if we exceeded 1.5 degrees Celsius, that if the planet warmed beyond 1.5 degrees Celsius, it would be game over. There would be no turning back. You know, the catastrophic weather events and the implications for humanity would be unavoidable. If that's the case, why not just say, I want to hell with it now? There isn't anything we can do about it, right? Uh, I think most people fear that if we give up on the 1.5, which I do not believe we will achieve, in fact, I'm very pessimistic about achieving even two, but if we leave, allow the target to become looser and looser... This is horseshit, this, isn't it? 
absolute horseshit. First of all, they tell you if we go beyond 1.5, it's terrible, it's game over. Now it's we're pretty sure we're going beyond 1.5, but we've got to still you know, prevent us going beyond 2 degrees Celsius or 2.5 degrees Celsius. It, it, it won't matter. You know, nothing will satisfy these people, right? Higher and higher. Governments will do even less in the future. We need to try and hold governments to start to act sensibly now and reduce emissions. But even governments with a really good target like the United Kingdom don't have the policies in place, don't have the financing in place to reach those goals. Right. What does the presenter say? What would you say, Professor Watson, to the voter, the listener, who thinks net zero is basically a conspiracy against their best interests? Which it is. It's not. It's in their absolute best interest to tackle climate change, net zero by 2050, large reductions this decade. If we don't, we're going to see more heat waves, more adverse effects on health. We're going to see agriculture, food production threatened. We're going to see problems with water quantity and water quality. We'll see more floods more sea level rise displacing people on coastal areas. I mean, this is absolute bullshit, this. There isn't a shred of evidence to support any of this nonsense. And again, you might as well have a nodding dog in the BBC studio. Lots of adverse health effects. It's in the best interest of people all around the world, in the UK, in everywhere, that we must tackle climate change. Otherwise, the adverse effects will really be bad Really be bad. And it's actually cheaper. Is that a scientific term? It'll be really bad. To address climate change now than to try and just keep adapting to it. So I would say the voter, vote for the politicians that are willing to address climate change. Parts of Europe have felt to some people close to uninhabitable this past week. China has provisionally broken... This is absolute bollocks. He says parts of Europe have felt nearly or virtually uninhabitable this week. That's a lie, that. I know this because I lived in the far south of Europe for a number of years. It's an absolute lie to suggest that people in Spain and Italy cannot cope with temperatures 42, 43, 44 degrees. They're well used to it. Very well used to it. They've got air conditioning in most buildings, in their apartments, in their homes. To say, as the BBC presenter said there, that parts of Europe are virtually uninhabitable, this is extreme propaganda you're listening to now on the BBC. Parts of Europe have felt, to some people, close to uninhabitable this... Uh, this is disgraceful, isn't it? ...past week. China has provisionally broken its record for the all-time highest temperature ever seen in that country uh, just this past weekend. Death Valley in California hit 53.9 degrees on Sunday. How soon, in your view... Will considerable swathes of this plesh... How soon, in your view, will... Cons Listen to how scripted these bastards are, right? Amol Rajan. I used to joke back in the day when I started this programme because I have pretty much worked at every level of the media, produ producing, running, everything, right? Late night radio, TV, front of camera, behind the ca everything. I've done it all, right? It's no big deal, but I have... And I've talked to you about these guys before. You know, we used to joke, often joke with friends. There's a difference between listening to a show like mine, which isn't scripted, which doesn't have a producer. Listen to how obviously scripted this bullshit is. Listen now. Will considerable swathes of this 
pleasure. Yeah, let's go back about another 10 seconds. Listen listen to this, right? That country uh, just this past weekend, Death Valley in California hit 53.9 degrees on Sunday. Here we go. How soon, in your view, will considerable swathes of this pleasure... He can't read the word. He can't pronounce the word that he's come upon because he didn't write this. These are not his notes. He was given a list of questions by the producer. It's a disgrace, this. That, that, that this passes for journalism in 2023. Listen. Nine degrees on Sunday. How soon, in your view, will considerable swathes of this pleasure... How soon... So he, so he starts again. He goes back again. He's reading his script. He's so awful. This guy, Amal Rajan, he returns. He, he goes back a couple of words and he tries again. He's not speaking in his own words. He's not working. He's not acting of his own volition. He's been handed a script. Soon, in your view, will considerable swathes of this precious blue marble dangling as it is in this infinite cosmological darkness, how soon will it become uninhabitable? This is fucking disgraceful, this. I mean, I can't get over how bad this is. This is as bad as I've heard in 2023. How soon, in your view... Who asks a question like this? Listen to the wording of this question. Will considerable swathes of this precious blue marble dangling... Precious blue marble dangling... As it is in this infinite cosmological... As it is in this infinite cosmological... Called darkness, darkness. How soon will it become uninhabitable? They say dead air is murder on radio. Don't, don't, don't ever be caught out by dead air on radio. I mean, did you hear that? Who speaks like that? This is how bad it is. This is how bad the main... I, I said to you two or three years ago that the media had bottomed out. It couldn't get any worse. And that I was wrong. Now we have serving MPs hosting their own TV and radio shows, interviewing their party colleagues. And we have guys like this reading scripts like that, talking about blue marble dangling in this infinite cosmological blah, blah, blah. How soon before it becomes uninhabitable? Mm. It won't become uninhabitable in the classical sense of no one can live here. But it will be a planet that is much harder to produce food, much harder to have clean water. No, it, it wouldn't be much harder to have clean water. And if even if they were right and the planet was, was warming and the warming was irreversible, people would adapt and they would grow different things. You see, people, mankind or womankind, has adapted to the changing landscape around them and the changing climates around them for thousands of years. This is a fact. If you don't believe me, look it up. People in the UK grew grapes. They grew grapes in this country in the Middle Ages or just after the Middle Ages when the temperatures were extreme. There were times when the Thames froze over. So people would adapt. It's a bit warmer now. Do you know what does really well in warm temperatures? Now, if you're expecting me to, to come up with something, you're, you're going to be waiting a while. I know nothing about farming, right? But people would adapt if it does get... But it will, it will get warmer, naturally. Because we are, in an, we are in the midst of an interglaciation period. We know this. You know, still emerging from the last ice age. That's what's going on, really, right? So the, the planet is going to warm gradually. Apparently, by the end of this decade, there might be a maunder minimum. It might have a cooling period around about 2030. Some people believe, including some very learned people. But then it'll warm again. Because, as I said, interglaciation. That's crap from the BBC, isn't it? But this guy says, look, it won't be uninhabitable. It'll just be pretty miserable. Many of our ecosystems, our forests, our grasslands, our coral reefs, 
will be destroyed. It will be much less habitable. Coral reefs do incredibly well in warm water. For our children and grandchildren. And like all other big issues, it's poor people throughout the world. Yeah, they played that card all the time. Oh, it's the poor people. You know, we've got to make sacrifices to our lives. We've got to change the way we live, even if it becomes a tad uncomfortable. Even if things become a little bit more difficult. It's like that nonsense at the beginning of the scandemic. Remember, you know, flatten the curve, a little bit of pain just to flatten the curve. And of course, the little bit of pain went on for two, two and a half years. Now it's like, let's take a little bit of pain, each one of us as an individual. Let's make sacrifices for future generations and for those poor people in third world countries who will feel the effects of the climate change more than maybe we will here in Northern Europe. It's insane, this stuff, it really is. This is hard, you know. This is one of the reasons why I was away a few days last week. I, 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 I've got to say that. It's hard to, to put up with. It's hard to cover this stuff. And I, I suppose the most difficult thing is is to, to, to have a feeling that nothing is changing. This is a relentless agenda. It's like a, if you want to use a very silly, childish analogy, it's like that big snowball which gets larger and larger as it rolls down the snowy hillside and it picks up more snow. It just seems to be relentless. And it's very difficult as a journalist. And I, you know I take great pride in my job. And I used to take great pride in it when I was in the mainstream media. It's terrible for me to listen to idiots like Amal Rajan and Naga Munchetti and Robert Peston and Laura Kunzberg and all the rest of them. It's terrible you know, that they won't jump all over this bullshit because as far as debunking something goes, this is about the easiest bullshit to debunk that I've ever come across. And I've been covering lies in the mainstream media since the, well, since about 2009, 2010. You know, it was before that when I worked in the mainstream media. I'm talking about kind of working as an independent. There isn't a more easy, there isn't a more obvious hoax than the climate hoax. It is 24 minutes to the top of the hour. Let's leave that for now. The climate nonsense. Let's leave it. This is your Richie Allen show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk on the app. One or two people have asked me about the app. The app is fine. It's sounding great. It's uh, streaming on the app and on richieallen.co.uk. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. On this lovely Thursday evening, I haven't even checked on Cricket here, listener. <laughs> I, I, I tend to do that, check there, but I haven't checked the, uh, the cricket. Zach Crawley went for 189. England are 343. They lead by 26. In the first innings, it's all looking good for uh, for England. Now, the BBC is reporting, as I speak, dear listener, isn't it nice that I checked the cricket because I also managed, I, I was lucky enough to see this. Ministers, this is breaking news, bbc.co.uk news. Ministers will make it harder for banks to close accounts after the dispute between ex-UKIP leader Nigel Farage and Coates. Banks will be forced to explain and also to delay any decision to close an account under the new rules the Treasury said. Customers will also be able to challenge account closures more easily 
it added. So that's breaking news. The Treasury has broken cover and said this is how it's going to be. Uh, the BBC reports under the new rules, banks will have to give a notice period of 90 days before closing an account, giving account holders more time to appeal against the decision. The BBC article goes on, they will also have to spell out why they want to close an account, making it easier for customers to challenge the closures. The new rules are likely to be brought in after the summer, the BBC understands. Now, dear listener, did I mention PayPal? I did. The BBC concludes its article with this. However, the Treasury said it had already been investigating account closures after PayPal temporarily suspended some accounts last year. Yes, the account for us, for them, the group which uh, campaigned for the rights of children not to be excluded from schools um, during lockdowns. For Well, they, they campaigned for schools to remain open. Uh, that was one such group which had its PayPal suspended. I had my PayPal deleted and they stole my money. And I told everybody at the time. I sent a message to every newspaper in the country. I didn't receive a single reply. I said, this is terrible. When I emailed these newspapers, I said, this is dreadful. Whatever you might think about the guests who come on my programme, whatever you might think about me, this is outrageous. I don't break the law, right? I offer a, a bit of space for people who can't get on the BBC. I give them a bit of space to come and discuss their ideas, their theories and what have you. It is outrageous that PayPal could do this. I didn't receive so much as a single response. Not a single one. Yeah, yeah. Were you surprised? Yeah. No, I wasn't. Paulie says, Angela Eagle, typical, left wokester. They're all baying for the blood of those with whom they disagree. The double standard, says Paulie. Sickening, eh? Imagine what someone like her would say if, for instance, it was the head of Just Stop Oil who'd had his account closed. They'd be screaming bloody murder. I've known people like her in real life. You can't argue with them. They think it's fine to discriminate against those they do not like because they deserve it, says Paulie. I think you've summed her up brilliantly, Paulie. And Gail is sending some love to Grace Anne's son, hoping he gets home okay. And it's an awful thing to happen. Indeed, it is. John says, I used to go into railing around Europe in the 80s. It was a common thing back then, stealing bags or suitcases, as the baggage storage on the train was often at the end of the carriage. People would just grab the bag and get off at the next station. Thanks, John. Linda says, I'm dancing across the kitchen to the Ramones. That was an earlier message. Thank you, Linda. Angus says, Professor Watson sounds like a scary maniac. Indeed, he does. Maria says, Richie, Southern Europe is always hot. In the summer, it's not news. My daughter is off to Clacton for a week tomorrow with her cousins. And guess what? The weather forecast is 20 degrees and rain says Maria in Surrey. English weather, normal for most summers. As soon as school breaks up, the rain arrives. Last year was an exception. Uh, regards, Maria. Excellent message, Maria. Peter says, I hope climate change does happen because it will wipe out all the idiots that believe it will happen. <laughs> yeah, but it might wipe us out too. Dave says, Richie, I find it really difficult listening to these loonies. How do you manage it? Trolling through all this horseshit on a daily basis without screaming in frustration. I take my hat off to you, sir. I'll tell you why I do it, Dave. And I explained this to a great friend of mine who, who is a broadcaster in Ireland, who I'm still in touch with. I explained it. Because I believe that if, if somebody, maybe somebody we know, 
who has taken the jab, worn the mask, right, gone along with it. But if they're just beginning to question it, there's a chance they will find my radio show. A chance. Because our, I shouldn't say mine, it's our show. Our show is the only such show. There isn't another one in the world like it, let's be honest, right? Uh, Broadcasting daily um, with the news and with um, bringing people on to talk about these things. Right, so um, because of the way I do it, I think that if people are a bit perplexed and they are a bit open-minded and they're looking for something and they come across me, this is the reason I do the monologues with giving the other side of the news of the news rundown. So I played the news rundown in the monologue and then I tell you why I believe it's a load of bollocks. And I do that because I do believe people are coming to, to this programme particularly people who are just beginning to question it. And if they find me, they hear me, well, here's your news today by the BBC, and this is why, in my opinion, because that's all it is, this is why it's a load of bollocks. These are the questions they shouldn't, um, these are the questions they should have asked. These are the questions they didn't ask. Why did they not ask those questions? It was an obvious open goal, and so on. This is why I troll the media and do the monologues every day for a half an hour. Um... That's why. But yeah, it is, it's annoying sometimes, yeah. Number of people have sent me a Telegraph article. I'll come to it in a second. Thank you. David reckons the natural rise in CO2 and warming since the last cold period 200 years ago is actually promoting the greening of the earth. It's only the hot air of these vile propagandists which is making us sick. Hi to Wiz who says, isn't it convenient that we are going to get a cooling period around 2030? Thank you, Wiz. Isabel reckons the media is playing another mind control game. They know that by repeating to people that they can't cope with the heat, the message will eventually be imprinted in the minds of these people. The result will be that people will truly believe that they cannot cope with the heat anymore, which will send that very signal to their body. The body will record the information and collapse under the heat, says Isabel. It's the rule of mind over body. I believe it was the same with COVID and long COVID. People convinced themselves they were truly sick and then their bodies followed and said, OK, then I'm truly sick. Very interesting indeed. Paddy is listening live for the first time in a while. Thank you, Paddy. Great show, Richie. I'm currently packing up five years' worth of crap as we've been forced to move house. We'll be paying more in the new smaller house, of course, as Paddy sent prayers. Good luck with it, Paddy. All the very best with it. Les Lane has been on. Hi, Les Lane. I had a very interesting conversation, Richie, with my mid-70s mother-in-law about my 13-year-old son who has autism. Mother-in-law asked me, did I think his condition may have been caused by the MM or jab? I just looked and nodded. I believe people are waking up to what has been previously considered a conspiracy theory. And I to Peter Waters, who says it's um, terrible propaganda scripted BS from the BBC about the climate hoax. The hollowed out legacy media, when you think they can't get any worse, they do. As you said about parallels with the climate hoax to the COVID con, when they said let's suffer a little for the greater good, this could also be applied to the proxy war in Ukraine, 
when then PM Boris Johnson's response when questioned about the fuel, energy and food bills spiralling out of control, Johnson said let's treat the price hikes as a sacrifice for those under attack in Ukraine. It's, uh, this world gets crazier and crazier, says Peter in Suffolk. Thank you, Peter. Thanks for all your messages. Brilliant of you. Thank you. 14 minutes to the top of the hour. Chris says, Richie, good evening. Any news? No, I've got it. Yeah, I've got to do that. I'll do it. 10 minutes, I'll give you that news. Thank you. I should have done it yesterday. I'll do it in 10 minutes. Okay. Uh, Baird says, harder to grow food with warmer temperatures and more CO2. And then he laughs out loud. Fantastic. In response, Kelly said, it makes my head hurt as it is so stupid. Why are human beings so gullible? It doesn't make any sense how we'd evolved to be so unconscious and so programmable. Yes. Yes. And we've done programs on it. Haven't we? We've done programs on it. Oh God, we have. Oh, we've done so many over the years where people have, you know, mass formation and what have you, why people go along with things. But I think it's fairly simplistic too, and maybe I shouldn't say this because not, not, because things are generally not very simplistic. But you look at middle income people, let's not say middle class. Nobody is a better class than you or than me, nobody. I don't care how much money they have, okay? Nobody's better than us. So let's say middle income. People who've always had a few bob, always had a nice house, could always afford the mortgage, could always go on a couple of holidays a year, no, 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 no worries about bills, and have some savings. You know, people who basically had a pretty decent life. Those people never had any reason to suspect that their government might commit grievous bodily harm on society, on its citizens on the civilian population. They never had any reason to. Now, if you come from a working class background, see, I said class and I said I wouldn't say class. If you come from that background like I did, kind of a lower socioeconomic background, um, people have always had a distrust of authorities, whether they be governments, whether they be the police, whether they be any authority you can think of. So it was a natural kind of a mistrust there. So that's why I think so many people went along with it. So many, let's not say well-to-do, but um, moderately well-off people. Because they can't comprehend those people. It's absolutely alien to them, the concept that their government would take advantage of a virus. Let's just pretend the virus does exist for a minute. I know some of you don't believe it. And fair enough, I respect you. I don't know. But let's pretend it did exist. The middle income earner just cannot possibly entertain the, the idea that the government would take advantage of it and commit terrible harms against the population in, as part of an agenda, a creeping totalitarian agenda towards this so-called Great Reset. Most people who've never had the government at their front door, they can't get their heads around it. And I, I totally understand it, why they can't get their heads around it. It's, 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 because I, I can remember when I, when I worked, when I was working for myself and renting a house in Waterford City and going to work in radio. And I wasn't wealthy, but I wasn't poor either. I wasn't scrounging around for a few pennies. You know, if you'd have said to me back then, governments are capable of doing the things that governments have done to their own populations, I would have said you are mad. Now, 
back then I was well aware of what the US government and the French government and the British government and the Israelis, of course, what they were doing in parts of Africa and in parts of the Middle East, destroying countries and killing millions of people. But I was still naive enough back then that I would have said, well, they wouldn't do it to their own people. And I think that goes some way, in my opinion, to explaining why so many people still to this day go along with it, with the agenda, and will believe, dear listener, and do believe that we are in a climate crisis and that it must be dealt with, lest their children and grandchildren are living in a boiling hot earth where life is insufferable. They believe it. And convincing them that it is absolute nonsense is, uh, well, it's very difficult. I'll read more of your comments. We'll do another story after another tune. Let's have some Eric Clapton. Eric Clapton and It's In The Way That You Use It featured, of course, in the film with uh, Paul Newman and Tom Cruise. It's the colour of money about the pool, the nine-ball pool, yeah. It's uh, coming up for six minutes to the top of the hour. It is Thursday's programme. I am the BBG. Now, I should have mentioned this earlier in the week, but I'll do it now, and I'll give you a very brief explanation. And before I give you the very brief explanation, please believe me when I tell you, I'm in good form. I'm in good form. Like everybody else, like you, I'm guessing, speaking to you directly now, that's you I'm speaking to, that once you get to this time of year, once you get into late July, we all we all become a bit knackered because we most of us take a break. Mo- I shouldn't say most of us, because maybe that's not true. Maybe with schools closing down now as they have done today and will do tomorrow. My neighbour's children, they got their holidays today, they broke up for summer holidays today, but others will finish tomorrow. So maybe, of course, tomorrow the airport, Saturday, the airports will be mental, right? With families getting away and that's lovely and whatnot. So maybe I shouldn't say most people, but I always take, we always take our break in August. So maybe... Having come back from my spring break, I've been ever present really since then, apart from one, maybe two days. So you get to that stage anyway where you you start to feel a bit kind of burned out and you you look forward to your holiday and then you come back from your summer holiday and you're in great form and full of energy and that gets you through to Christmas. That's how it is. Um, I mentioned some weeks ago that I planned to put on an event in Manchester at the Fab Cafe. We were going to call it an evening with the BBG and the wonderful people involved with the Fab Cafe, got to mention Mike, of course, and, and Charlie and, and, of course, Paul Ripley. So they arranged it and they gave me a series, a number of, they gave me a number of dates in September and said you can choose one. And I was going to pick one of the dates and do it. I'm not going to do it now. And I'll be very brief and I'll explain why. I'm not going to do it because um, I hit the wall last week or the end of the previous week completely hit the wall you'll have experienced this yourself yeah, I don't mean physically I'm, I'm a lucky enough chap when I say lucky I don't know about being lucky but my job doesn't involve very much physicality it's news gathering news reading news production and news presenting right but there isn't anything physical about it but mentally there is it's an enormous undertaking right and I just want to say this, and I've never said this before, but I hope you'll, I hope you'll kind of understand this, and and I hope you'll 
give me a little bit of leeway, a little bit of a little bit of a break on this because I've never said this before. Look, I receive a lot of emails from people and I know you know this is true because you hear people during the phone-ins. People come on the phone-ins and they say, Richie, thanks, blah, 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 thanks, thanks. And, and I shut it down because I've, I've never been good with that. I've never been good with dealing with that. So I say, thanks, look, there's no need for it, blah, blah, blah. And people say, look, during 2020 and 2021, you kept us going or you kept me going or you kept me saying it was nice to have the show at five o'clock and to hear you taking the piss out of it and making me laugh sometimes, making me shout at the radio sometimes, and what have you. You were there, it was great. Right, that's true. But I've never said this before now. Um, it nearly killed me. It nearly killed me. And this is why in very late 2021, I all but scrapped it and walked away from it. And I've never been one of those, you know, who makes empty threats or, you know, comes out with hyperbole and, you know, I'm not the sort of guy to make a proclamation about something and then not do it. I've never been that guy. Once I decide I'm, I've come to the end of the road in any aspect of my life, that's it, I'm done. And in 2021, November, I think it was, maybe it was the same in November 2020, I can't remember, but I'd had enough of it because it took an enormous toll on me coming up the stairs to the studio every day, right? Literally every day. I wasn't on air every day, but it was on air Monday to, Monday, Monday to Thursday. And then I did the Sunday news programme, Sunday View. So doing that five days a week, coming up the stairs, nearly killed me. I got to the point where I hated it. And it made me sick, physically sick, to come and do it. Because I, nobody had ever imagined who had ever worked in broadcasting or in production, is that you would be covering a single topic for any period of time, let alone for two years. It absolutely destroyed me. It, for a time, destroyed my love of my job. And I love my job. I really love it, you know. It's a special thing to be able to, to gather a few stories, to book a couple of guests, and then to have a chat with you, ask a few questions, wrap it up into a podcast, and then start again. It's a lovely job. There are people who have far more important jobs, and I do mean that. I don't want to sound like James O'Brien now. Virtue signalling, like you say, people have more important jobs than me, but you don't really mean it because you're a bit of a prick-like. But I do really mean it. There are millions of people who do far more important things than I do. You know, um, former goalkeeper for Manchester United, Edwin van der Sar, great goalkeeper, is alive today because surgeons know how to relieve brain bleeds and stuff. This is unbelievable, right? Far more important than some bloke sitting in a radio studio shouting his mouth off and what have you. But um, it was bloody hard. And it um, I don't think I've recovered from that, to be honest. You know, drink was taken. One of the things I did at the time was, was finish up and get fairly blotto in a short amount of time. Something I'd never done before. Thankfully, I've never had a drink during the day. I still haven't. I've never done that. But to cope with that and my loathing, because I came to loathe it, I hated it. Doesn't sound it. I've listened back to some of these programmes thinking, cringed, thinking, Christ, how bad does that sound? But it doesn't. Some of it is funny. Some of it is tragic. You know, some of it is, is absolute void of it. But I don't hear that hatred in there. So there's some professionalism kind of remained at the time. But doing that for those two years sucked my soul out of me. And uh, 
and I've never kind of entirely recovered from it. And I've been very sick, I think. And I think that had a lot to do with it as well. And um, I think I'm still kind of recovering from that, still kind of finding my way back to, um, to, to, to enjoying this again. I'm enjoying it today. I enjoyed it yesterday. I loved the callers yesterday. I loved listening to Killian and Stephen, our Irish poets and, and artists on, on Tuesday. Was it Tuesday? I think it was. So I'm getting there again. But um, but we've all, this is not about me, we've all had an, a tremendous shock to our systems. Not the people who went along with it, but we have. You have. I have. We, we knew from day one what was going on. That is a tremendous shock to your system. That is an attack on your soul. That is a spiritual attack that we've had. And as robust as we think we are and as knowledgeable as we might think we are, it doesn't change the fact that I think this has hurt us, what's happened. If we see our battle against the bastards who want to completely transform the planet into a prison, it, that was a round. Let's see, say it's a 12-round fight or an old 15-round championship fight. In the last two years, even though we know what we're doing and we know what we're about, you and me, we were knocked down three or four times in that round. Battered. You must feel it. I, I, I felt it terribly. Last week, I, I had one of those weeks. I, I got to the end of the previous week and it's relentless, this climate bullshit and people going along with it. And You know, I see these signs popping up now on Langworthy Road, low emissions and stuff like this and I, I just see it being relentless. So I got to the, I hit the wall basically. All the energy went out of me and I basically did nothing for four days. I went into Manchester, I bought a couple of records, I spent a bit of time with Paul and I got my head together and I'm back now. I'll have my holiday next month, I'll come back refreshed from that. But I don't have the energy to produce the audiovisual stuff for the evening with Richie Allen in, in the Fab Cafe. I think if I plunge into that, I think I'll collapse. So I'm not doing it. And sorry for teasing it out there and speaking about it so excitedly, which I did because I was sincere. I'm a sincere guy. I meant it. I wanted to do it. I want to meet some of the people that have um, kept me going in the last two to three years by listening and getting involved and, and all of that. But I don't have the energy for it. Not now. I don't lie. I plan on doing it because I'd love to do it. So maybe towards Christmas, maybe January, maybe late January might be the time to do it. And um, we'll talk more about it then. But for now, it would be suicidal for me to throw myself into that because I can't do anything. I can't take the piss. It's got to be perfect. You know, uh, you'd have to walk out of there saying, well, this is the best evening I ever came to in my life. That's not ego now. That's professionalism and that's bloody competitiveness. So I'd go all in on that for the next few weeks and I would lose even more weight and, and that would be the end of that. So look, no for now, but it's something I really wanted to do. Like I said before the scam, I had written a two-hour show and it was going to be in several theatres around the country, ironically, before the, the bullshit happened in March of 2020. So that's where we are, you know. So I don't want to repeat it. I'm never going to say this again, but these were... these. These were hard years for all of us. And I didn't have it harder than you. I did not. But in terms of what I do, it 
it's excruciating. It was excruciating. Life-changing. Reporting on the same issue day in and day out with that sense of urgency that we had when we knew the jobs were going to be announced. The jobs that were rushed into existence at the speed of light, you know. And knowing that, and again, this isn't ego talking, but knowing that you had a little bit of responsibility to try and report on it in a way that might mean that some people might, if I was lucky, might hear the programme, might hear the doctors, and who might decide not to have a job. It was relentless. And by the end of 2021, I'd had enough, really. I think it was the end of 2020, wasn't it? It was bad enough in the winter of 2020. I think that's when I came up with the idea of the Melodies programme. I think it was. My timeline is all screwed up. I've got brain fog at the moment. I think it was late 2020 that I introduced the Melodies. I think, but I could be wrong. I'd have to go back and look. But there was a big wobble in late 2021. Major wobble. And I was within moments of of, them walking away. Last year, in June of last year, there was another wobble. When I got so sick of it, not you, I just got so sick of the the horrors of it and, you know, what was coming down the line that I effectively ripped out a, a very, very, very good, I'm, I'm struggling for the terminology here, I ripped out a very practical, very usable and very tidy little studio, just ripped it out. Not out of temper, not out of severe depression, just out of frustration. It's like a scream, isn't it? It's like a massive scream. And that's why I did it. I said, right, I'm ripping out all of this now. I'm going to buy in a big, you know, massive big digital console. It's going to be all bells and whistles and all of this nonsense. And what it was, was, it's like trying to run away from your problems, isn't it? It's like saying, I've got a lot of problems. I know what I'll do. I'll move house. I'll move to another city. I'll move to another country. The problems are still there when you get there. So you get the new console and it's sexy and it's wonderful and you're sticking your two fingers up to the BBC and you say, see, I can do that. I can get that sort of equipment in here. But you still got the same issues. It's the same stuff. COVID, vaccine injuries, COVID, vaccine injuries, climate change. And it just gets on you. It gets on top of you. And it did for me. It did last week. I'd had enough of it. And, um, yeah, and I suppose there's no point in me even explaining this because unless you ever produced radio or telly, you'll never know how labour-intensive it is. You know, I've said to you before, ask somebody who's worked in mainstream media. They will tell you. I mean, do you, do you not remember David Icke, who worked in BBC, worked for BBC Breakfast, worked for BBC Sport? David would come on this programme and at the end of it, he would say, Richie, your listeners should know just how difficult this is to do by yourself. But people don't know because this is an unusual job. And I totally accept that. I've got to live with that. That people will never know just what goes into it. Just how crazy it is. It's relentless, morning, noon and night. And it's not, it's not a problem. It wasn't so much of a problem before 2020. It was the same, but we had, we had lots and lots of different things to talk about didn't we? You, you know, we had, we had many subjects, many fields of research, esoteric stuff and everything. And um, each day was different and it brought with it something new and I learned something new. But the last three years are it's crazy. 
it's just been I think I I'm going to shut up now and play a record then come back and do some more news but when I think back I think yeah shock is the appropriate term I was shocked to my bone marrow by what happened how it transpired but also by reporting on it non-stop for two years absolute shock and it has had a big impact on us people like you and me and we're still in the minority people like you and me it has a ma- it has had a major impact i think the boxing analogy is a good one we've taken a proper battering in that round we're not gone right we're not gone we're not out you know still able to put our hands our fists up in front of our face but we've taken a caning in that round i really believe that and that explains what i mean you know, when I talk about burnout and, and and all of that. I would say to anybody who's sceptical about it, please don't be. Um, ask somebody who knows and they'll tell you. It's crazy. It's crazy to produce, you know, 10 hours of live radio a week on your own. Yes, there are people who put lots of stuff online, but it's basically them sitting in front of a camera spouting their opinions. There's no content there. I bring you content and loads of it every day, Monday to Thursday and on Sunday. Lots and lots of content. That's where the work is. It's in the content. Not in me sitting here giving you opinions. That's the easy part. The difficult part is the content. And um, yeah, so that's where I was. And that is why, the most long-winded way of telling you, I am not going to produce a two and a half hour talk for September because if I try to do that, it'll kill me. And that might be an exaggeration, right? So if I have exaggerated, I might have exaggerated there. It wouldn't kill me, but I wouldn't be the better for it, I think is how we say these things in Ireland. Here are The Clash. Yeah, The Clash and... Yeah, it's on London. London's calling, yeah. London calling. Yes, that's right. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm not going anywhere until uh, mid-August. I'll be ever-present until I take my two-week summer holiday in mid-August. I'm sure I can share it with you. We're going to Torquay. I hear the wildebeest are in fine bloom in Torquay at that time of year. Paula says, Richie, it wasn't until I got chronic Lyme disease that I woke up. Have a look at Plum Island. They were doing experiments on ticks there. Lyme disease, says Paula, in her opinion, is a bioweapon. Thank you very much for that. David says, I have come to believe that most prefer to be told what to think as they aren't capable of thinking. No doubt about that. Don says, Richie, the mindset of most people is, well, I'm okay with the system as I've got a family and a home, two holidays a year, etc. So the system has been okay for me so far. So I'll go along with what they tell me to do, like what happened with the mass compliance during the scam demic. That's an interesting concept, Don, is that amongst the middle income earners, there are those who believe, no, there are those who maybe are, who maybe are alive to the tyranny, but they think they've got it okay. That's an interesting concept. Yeah, I, I see that things are getting very tyrannical at the moment and very authoritarian. That's a better way of putting it. But but I'm doing okay. I have a mortgage I can afford. My kids are, are doing okay. And we've got a couple of quid in the bank, so I better shut up then. There is that too. 
Seamus has been in touch, my pal Seamus Connolly. Richie, my world is boiling at the moment. I'm fighting four monster IKEA units in the front bedroom. <laughs> Fahrenheit's off the bloody scale. Global warming is welcomed any time as long as before nine o'clock tonight. Seamus is near the Peak District or in the Peak District with his better half. They've just moved into a new home and all of us at the Richie Allen Show say the very, very best of luck to Seamus and the missus in the new home. It must be lovely. Um, Richie says, I can't bear the water scarcity bollocks when two-thirds of the Earth's surface is water and vast fresh water rivers and lakes and primary water beneath the ground. Didn't Gaddafi run a thousand miles of pipeline to bring water from the desert? That's um, desalination, isn't it, Richie? Desalination plants. I used to read about desalination plants when I was younger. I used to read that if the if 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 there were problems. Remember we used to watch documentaries which talked about peak oil. Remember, peak oil is going to be a serious problem in the future and all of that jazz. And then they those th- those researchers changed their tune and they used to say things like, you know, in the future wars will be fought over water. They used to tell us that another scary story. Another horror story to put you to bed with. You know, in future you'll fight over water. And I used to read at the same time, I'd read The Guardian, I'd read The the Independent, and they would talk about desalination plants. Massive big plants which could be built near the seaside, next to the seaside, which could turn salt water into drinkable water. Desalination, that's right, yeah. No doubt about that. Jan says... uh, I don't know, Jan, I'll look into that. Podomatic, thank you. Hi to Tim, thank you, Tim. Uh, hi to Martin and Linda, who says, reading the broadsheets daily is n- is a recipe for a big negative cloud around you. Uh, that's how we feel, says, says Martin and Linda. I don't think so. I don't, I, I don't feel particularly negative when I read them. When I'm reading them, I'm thinking about how I'm going to present the other side of it. That's how it works. That's what I do, right? Tim says, I swear, Richie, that sometimes I've cried listening to you. Oh, God. Oh, he says, out of an overwhelming feeling of not being alone because you were there and are here. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. And that's what I meant at the beginning. I've had a lot of that from people. So now I say, right, that's, I'm glad, but that came at a big cost, you know. Hi to Dean and thanks for your kind words. I'm not going to read out too many of these, but a lot of these have come in. I really appreciate it. Uh, Kev says, I know what you're saying, Richie. The COVID shite really messed me up. It wasn't the bollocks on the telly. It was the people who sucked it all up, especially at work. The morons talking shite about all the deaths and all that crap. And then I got panic attacks and anxiety. And it all started during that period. I blame the scamdemics as Kev. Thank you, Kev. Michael says, Richie, we lost three years of our lives. I've stopped talking dates. Beautiful truths, brothers, says Michael. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, three years, yeah. Absolutely. Thanks, Linda. Thank you, Peter. No doubt about that. Uh, hi to Jason. Richie, you're not alone, my friend. It's affected everybody. He says, I feel for you. I've had my kidney... Uh, I had a kidney transplant. I'm off back to Thailand now, laying low, watching the ocean. Um... Facebook and Twitter have been deleted. I'm free from all that nonsense. Um, love the show. I'm not forgetting Mark Boyerski, says Jason. Good luck with the kidney transplant, mate. Was it somebody you knew who donated the kidney? It must must have been. must have been a 
a sibling, was it, or somebody? And thank you to Hey Derek. Thank you, Hey Derek. Nice of you to um to, 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 to say that. Now it's time to talk about something else. It's nineteen minutes past the hour. Enough of the climate stuff for a while. Let me talk about this. This is real mainstream media stuff, which we wouldn't ordinarily cover on the Richie Allen show. But uh, we, we, we have a pair of dogs in our home. I know that you like dogs. You have a dog too. I know this because you share your photographs of your dogs with me. What do you make of this? I'm fascinated by this. Is this another moral panic engineered by the media? Or is there something in it? Um, it's Lawrence Newport writing in the Telegraph newspaper today. The headline reads, Dogs bred for fighting are causing carnage on Britain's streets. The subheading is Shepherd Dogs Herd, Retrievers Retrieve, and Pointers Point. So what do American Bully XLs do? And it starts off this article by Lawrence Newport referencing a child who was attacked by an XL bully dog in Liverpool on Monday. Thankfully the child hasn't died but has been left with severe injuries. He writes, does um, this guy Lawrence Newport... Last year, Britain experienced the highest level of fatal dog attacks in four decades. The vast majority of those deaths were caused by one breed, also believed to be responsible for the attack in Liverpool, the American bully XL. He goes on to say, It's no surprise that only two years after their rise in popularity, American bullies are now the breed most frequently seized by the Met Police for attacks on people and other dogs. As a result of the Dangerous Dogs Act 1991, despite the increase in human and canine populations, dog attacks and fatalities had been remarkably low for decades. It has taken 30 years for a new dangerous breed to be imported and sold in Britain. What's going on here, dear listener? So... Obviously, we're out two, three times a day with our dogs. We're in Salford. It's a city, right? I have come across the XL bully. And I think it's an awful looking thing. And I'm 48. I'm a big unit. I love dogs. Pretty much all breeds. I've never been nervous around a dog in my life. Until I've started to come across... I'm not going to say lots of these, because that would be an exaggeration. But I have seen pretty frequently I do bump into somebody with one of these dogs. They are massive and I've become a bit nervous around them. Is that because there's been some talk about these dogs in the papers? I can't say yes, I can't say no. Maybe that's the case. I don't know. But what's going on? Is there something more sinister going on here? I wonder. Is this is this a prelude to something else? You know? This might be a real stretch now. But identifying this XL bully dog, which I don't like, so I put my cards on the table, as being a dangerous breed and calling for it to be banned under the Dangerous Dogs Act, is there something else going on here or is there a genuine danger from these dogs in the UK at the moment and elsewhere? They regularly get to 50 to 60 kilograms. They are massive. And he makes the point in his article that this new breed is basically a larger and more muscular pit bull. And because pit bulls were bred using the best fighting dogs, the weaker dogs were not bred from, if you understand, right? 
He reckons this is why you're getting so much aggression and that they're dangerous and that ultimately they need to be put on the banned dogs list. I'm guessing because the show has a pretty good reach, right? Somebody who owns an XL bully might be listening to the programme and might want to reach out to me to talk about it. I remember the panic about Rottweilers and at the time I would have none of it because I knew people with Rottweiler dogs and I knew they were beautiful dogs. I knew they were very um, plastic dogs. They were very intelligent dogs and that they were not any more likely to be aggressive. So I knew this. I never had any fear or concern about Rottweilers. We've got a golden retriever and a German shepherd. Um, you, you know that the German shepherd was gifted to us. We had a golden retriever that was basically... Um, we got our dog Leia when a a couple, an Asian couple, a professional couple, couldn't cope with her anymore. And they put a cry for help on the internet. So he said, right, we'll take her. We know dogs. We've raised dogs. We, we look after her. So three years later, she's thriving. And I had a German Shepherd called Jazz. We had. She passed away. And I was gifted Bobby. Bobby Jean. In case you're wondering, oh, it's Richie buying, you know, going out to buy... I don't know, what would you call them? Status dogs or whatever? No, none of that. None of that at all. Never had any status dogs. And until the time we um, until the time we picked up Leia and gave a little bit, but not much compensation to the people who had spent silly money on Leia, um, we'd always rescued. And in the future, we would rescue again. Just in case you're wondering, like. But I'm very interested in this XL bully panic and the coverage it's received recently in the British press and on the likes of your mid-morning magazine television programmes. What's going on? Is this about something else? Like, is this meant to go somewhere else? This is what you got to wonder every time they start saying, the media, we've got to get rid of this, we've got to get rid of that. What's really going on? But to balance that, I've got to say, um, I think they're awful looking dogs. I wouldn't want one. And if I'm going to be honest, in a place like Salford, um, working class he said it again, uh, community, which suits us down to the ground because both the future missus and myself are working class people. So it suits us living here. Um, our people, you know, we, we're familiar with the people who live in a place like this, proper people, real people, dependable people. That's what you get in council estates, real people. I'm not patronising anybody, I, I really mean that. You get the best people in the world, reliable people, right? Um, but, but, there is a but here. When I see people with the XL bullies, it's usually some wannabe gangster dickhead where the dog is some sort of status dog. And I wonder about that. Um, let me know your thoughts on that. We'll talk about something probably a bit more serious. Now, the COVID rule breakers backlogging and blocking up the courts. We should have done this ages ago, but I meandered uh, to talk about something else, to talk about why we won't be doing the gig in the Fab Cafe. I will put something on the website about that to make it official, by the way. Listen to this. Joe Coburn, Politics Life, this afternoon. Very interesting, this. Let's start with this story on the front page of The Guardian. Revealed, it says, soaring toll of 28,000 convictions for COVID uh, breaches. Yes, you may have thought, of course, that that had gone away, uh, but 28,000 people have been criminally convicted of breaking COVID rules in England and Wales. Two years after the restrictions were lifted, magistrates' courts are still hearing an average of 100 COVID-related cases each 
month. Should people be being criminalised for COVID breaches? This is amazing, right? 100 cases a month being heard by magistrates, people who were arrested and charged with breaking COVID guidelines. That's astonishing. She puts the question there, should people be criminalised? She's asking the former Justice Secretary, Tory MP, Robert Buckland. Well, look, I, th I think decisions for magistrates and prosecutors have to be independent. Uh, the rules were very clear at the time. I, I, I am uh, somewhat concerned to hear that we're still dealing with these cases a couple of years on. I mean, look, mm. my view is at risk of getting involved in individual cases, I think mm. that, you know, that probably individual cases need to be looked at. If there are serious breaches, fair enough. But, but I'm not sure that, that carrying on with these cases years after the event is going to serve the public interest uh, at all, frankly. Just before I come to you, Andrew, but I think that this was at odds with the government's insisted they would treat breaches of COVID restrictions as civil rather than criminal. Well, look, the, the rules were very clear. They, they were the fixed penalty notices yeah. that you could then challenge in the magistrate's court. So that's the procedures, a bit like parking fines, as mm. it were. Uh, and therefore, they do become a procedure in the magistrate's court with an ultimate conviction. Look, my view is, you know, look at individual cases. We've got a backlog. We've got a lot of important cases to deal with. You know, get, get our priorities right and serve the public interest. Right. So enough of it, says Robert Buckland. Get our priorities straight and move on. Now you heard um, Angela mentioned there, this is Angela Eagle who was on this programme uh, today. We heard from her a bit earlier on. Um, Joe Coburn throws it over to Angela Eagle. Well, look, I, th I think decision... Angela, go. should oh, they be criminalised? There's, there's three core... I think there's a third of a million um, case backlog in the magistrate's court. Um, and that is because of the cuts that were made to the judicial system um, during the austerity years. Justice is being delayed a long time for all criminal cases. This is one example. But I have to say, there's one rule for some people and another for others. We had Sean Bailey, Lord Partygate of Jingle and Mingle, um, was actually introduced to the House of uh, Lords as a legislator for the rest of his life yesterday while there's still um, a, a potential police inquiry hanging over him for that party. Should there so, be an amnesty then for all these people? Should they just not be made to pay the fines? Well, look, I mean, some of them, the fines are £6,000, yep. £10,000. Apparently the average fine issued in magistrate courts last year was £6,000 and some people have been fined as much as £10,000, presumably because non-payment and so on. Do you hear that? The average fine, £6,000. Some people paid £10,000. If you think about it, that was for refusing to go along with the bollocks back in March of 2020 when they said you must remain in your homes to protect the NHS and you shouldn't stray too far from your home and you should only have 45 minutes worth of exercise. And the people who said to hell with this, £6,000, eh? Then rolls, rolls and, up and quite the Quite often these are people that can't afford it, but the people who wrote the rules the, uh, in Downing Street well, have been given fixed penalty notices that they can Well, yours is a charge of, of hypocrisy, it but is. should people should yep. people be being criminalised uh, for breaking COVID rules? Amazing to me, really. Amazing. Again, no naivety here on my part, I don't think, but the fact that they're still at this, you know, in... In the summer of 2023, they're still bringing 100 cases a month and fining people as much as £6,000. My God. Wow. On the bully thing, this has motivated you. The XL bully. Um, it's nothing new, says Brian. 
Status dogs have always been around status dogs. It was Rottweilers in the 80s. The people who want a status dog will get the biggest, baddest looking dog they can get and probably impart bad intentions onto or into the dog. Ian says he doesn't see anything suspicious or underhanded in the bully scare. They are genuinely dangerous and in my opinion, every owner should require a very stringent licence or the destruction of the dog. They are dangerous, says Ian. Thank you, Ian. Michael, on the other hand, says, My friend has an XL bully. It is a big softy. Nelly says, I walked in the road to avoid one of these so-called XL bully dogs and it was pulling at its lead to get to me. I was afraid. They are awful, threatening-looking creatures, um, says um, Nelly. Thank you, Nelly. And thanks to Alice F. for your kind words, Alice. I appreciate that. Dean came back to say, the problem is this type of dog seems to attract the wrong type of owner. I know it sounds like a cliche, but you've only got to look at these people. They don't seem to be dog people. They see the dogs as an accessory status symbol for all the wrong reasons. Mike and Hull says, I think the problem is idiots who don't know how to take care of themselves or how to act in society. And these people are getting these dogs for status symbols. There's plenty of them near me. And like you, I've never been nervous around any breed, but I am cautious when I come across these dogs in the hands of certain types of people. Mike and Hull. Thank you, Mike. Sam says, Zena, my beautiful American bulldog, is the biggest puppy in the world. Marlene, my first American bulldog, was even calmer. It's the owner, not the dog, Richie. They're like a big staffy. Any dog can attack, but if it's brought up properly, they will be the best dog uh, you could live with. Police don't like them because they will protect your house and your family when they break in, says Sam. That's an interesting take. Very interesting. Now, Cookie says in Poland, the media there is reporting on cats, felines, cats, having a virus that could pass into humans. Apparently, it is from raw meat. I guess a fake vaccine might be on the way in Poland, says Cookie, maybe. Hi to Mark. Hi, Mark. Nice to hear from you. Hi to Carol, who says, and didn't Boris pay £50, Richie? Or am I wrong? Did Johnson pay a £50 fine? I think you might be right, in fact. Jason reckons all court cases for COVID rule-breaking should be thrown out because the government broke the rules as well. Isabel says, multiply 6,000 by one-third of a million. That's your answer as to why they're not dropping the charges against people for breaking rules during COVID restrictions. By the way, it's well over, uh, it's well over 1.9 billion they might take in. In fine, says Isabel. Yeah, that makes sense. 26 minutes to the top of the hour. Time for another tune. When we come back, more of your comments and we'll do another couple of stories. Yeah. <laughs> Kids doing best they can. Yeah, he was uh, John Cougar Mellencamp when that came out, I think. Jack and Diane on the Richie Allen Show, 23 minutes to 7 o'clock on this lovely evening. Uh, the close of play, at the close of play at Old Trafford, Australia, uh, England. Australia were bowled out, weren't they? They were bowled out for 317. England closed today 384 for four. That sounds like a lead of 67 runs. 
um, England will, will return to the crease there, Ben Stokes and is it Harry Brook he's, he's batting with uh, tomorrow and I'm looking forward to that tomorrow so I am yeah I can't wait for a bit of Ashes uh, cricket but you're not interested in that thank you for your messages this evening lots of them um, Faisal reckons it's probably got to do with the owners really more than the dogs you know people who get a dog that's known for nothing but fighting and size are also like to be immature uh, dog carers themselves Baird reckons there's no danger from the dogs but rather danger from mental little scally gangsters, he says, not to put too fine a point on it, who need to be taught a good lesson. But yes, he says they will come for our dogs soon, ones that can defend us. But don't laugh. It has been mooted, even if it's been mooted jokingly. But you know that in the future, one way to reduce our carbon footprint would be not to have pets at home. This has been said, you know it's been said, I know it's been said. So you wonder, don't you? It's a big stretch now to suggest that the XL bully moral panic is the, the beginning, the first shot across our bows for them to ultimately try and end pet ownership to save the planet. But you never know, really. It's mad. <laughs> you know? It is crazy. I don't know. Antonio has been in touch. This bears reading. Antonio Gomez. How I understand you. I present and produce radio. 12 years on full time and more part time. The work you're doing is enormous, especially doing, during these past three years. And I thank you so much. Antonio sounds like he's Spanish. Um, so thanks for saying that. And then he mentions coming on a future phone in. I really appreciate it. Yes, you know. I don't have to tell you. You know how it goes. I really appreciate that, you know. Hi to Sam. Hi to, Rich, hi to Rob who says, Richie, I'd like to hear some more esoteric stuff. So would I. And the plan is to do that. Lost cities. You know, amazing buildings, says Rob. Buildings which were built thousands of years ago. Why was everything built so beautifully back then? And now we have crap architecture. It feels they were built for a purpose. Good stuff, Rob. And yes, 100%. Absolutely, you know. So there you go. I, I, I will, I, I will endeavour to do that. And you've noticed anyway, in recent weeks, I have tried to go down that road a bit more. And it suits me, to be honest, really. You know, it suits me. Hi to Brian Smith, whose partner is an NHS nurse. We refused. We, we refused it all. Um, she was about to lose her job, her career, etc. in the weeks before Christmas. Then the government reversed the plan to sack the refuseniks. That's, um, that's balls, says Brian, taking a stand with your job, your family, your friends all on the line. Absolutely, Brian, 100%. I have endless, endless um, respect for the doctors and the nurses. I should say the nurses and the doctors because I've probably interviewed more nurses than, than doctors who put their careers in jeopardy by saying the mask mandates were, were, were crazy. Keeping children home from school was crazy. The jabs w could never be ruled as safe because we wouldn't have the long-term safety data. Those people are the real heroes of all of this. Forget the independent media. Okay, it's nice to be able to give, to, to provide a, a, a bit of space for people to come and talk about these things, which is what we do, right? But um, yeah, these are the, th these are the people. I don't compare myself to people like that. I never have done. But it's, it's apples and oranges, really, you know. 
you know, it, it doesn't mean because people took great risks with their careers to tell the truth about COVID, which I will forever be grateful for. It doesn't mean that life was any more easy for somebody like me broadcasting about it for 18 months nonstop. You know, it doesn't. That's just the way it is. But but I hear you loud and clear. Loud and clear. Now, um, Ethel has been on. No, Ethel has not been on. Graham has been on to say, my Ethel is an American slash British bulldog cross. She got attacked by a German shepherd and a Jack Russell, but she hates fighting and doesn't fight back. Well done, uh, Graham. Ethel sounds brilliant. Uh, yeah, look, if, if a German shepherd is going on the attack, I can tell you, as somebody who knows a lot about German shepherds, the owner has to be an absolute idiot. German shepherds are a breed of dog that are as reluctant, I think, as any other breed to attack. They don't just attack dogs, German Shepherds. German Shepherds, once they reach adulthood, particularly the females, maybe I should make a distinction here, the females lose interest in other dogs once they get to two and a half, three years old. This is wisdom I'm imparting here on German Shepherds. They become very standoffish. They become even, you might even say, aloof with people and with dogs. The Golden Retrievers, of course, and the Labradors, they can be little bastards too. Um, Leia has barked at people for no reason in the park. And she's a gorgeous little Golden Retriever. Harmless thing. She hasn't attacked anybody and wouldn't attack, but she's barked at people she hasn't liked the look of. You know, they might have a, a cap on. They might be carrying an umbrella or something. Something new and she'll start screaming. But she won't advance towards them. And she's corrected immediately, obviously, by myself or the missus. But, yeah, it's unusual for a German shepherd to just attack a dog. Maybe with the males, maybe, I don't know. I've always had females, so there you go. Steve reckons, he says, Richie, Christmas Day last year, I was walking my two labs. A pit bull type dog came towards us out of nowhere. No lead, no tag. Although it wasn't that aggressive, it wouldn't leave us alone and pestered us for over half an hour. My dogs were affected by it. It was unnerving. Thankfully, other people living nearby came out to help, yeah. I think you have a real responsibility when you... I, I don't like to say own dogs, but when you are in control of a dog, I think you have a real responsibility when you're out and about to be aware of people who are nervous of dogs. I think decent people will do that. It takes nothing. It is no it is no inconvenience as a dog, let's say a dog owner, to keep an eye out for people that are nervous. And when you see them, because our dogs are off the lead, right? Because they're well-behaved, well-trained dogs. I can hear the laughter coming from downstairs, right? Um, but they are. You know, their recall is good. They're good girls, right? But when you see somebody who's a bit nervous, the right and proper thing to do is to consider the feelings of the other person. Get them on the lead straight away. Say hello to the person. Hell yeah, they're good. I've put them on the lead and then move on and then let them off again. It's not, it, you know, being nice doesn't cost anything. Civility costs nothing, you know. Billy says, Richie, it was considered at cabinet level the culling of domestic cats. It was mentioned, wasn't it? 
what the, the, the Matt Hancock WhatsApp messages revealed that there was a discussion about culling domestic cats because of COVID, but it was soon rejected after that by the government. But, says Billy, it was given serious consideration at the time. And I'm going to give the comment of the day to Devi, or Davy, D-E-V-I. Thank you, Devi. Maybe it's Davy. I believe that ultimately they are actively trying to send us all mad. Yes, that's exactly it. That is it in a nutshell. That crystallises the entire agenda. Or where we are right now. In order to get people to accept the agenda, to accept the solution after the reaction to the problem they've created, to get the acceptance, they are actively working on turning people uh, into basket cases. I totally agree with it. You can see it every day. This climate bullshit, the COVID nonsense, the gaslighting people, the migration. Yes, everything. All of this stuff, I agree with Devi, is designed to unnerve people, to unsettle people, to bring about psychological problems in people, to induce mental illness. 100% Devi. That's the comment of the day. That is it. How do you get people to accept total authoritarianism? How do you, how do you induce acceptance in them? Scared the shit out of them. Scared the shite out of them. Terrorised them. With, with never-ending threats. Shall I do it again? I did it on Tuesday, but maybe you didn't hear me. It's a brilliant bit of audio, if I can dig it out. Not sure I'll be able to dig it out, though. But I probably will. I'll have a go anyway. Let's see if I can dig it out. It is a little bit of audio. Have I got it? Or was it Monday? It might have been Monday. I think it was Monday. Let me dig it out from Monday. Bit of audio, right, from Monday. And it's the opening lines of a documentary which was made by Adam Cortis at the BBC called The Power of Nightmares. And in The Power of Nightmares, I talked about this on Monday so I won't bore you for too long anyway. He hypothesised, he said, in the 50s and 60s, 70s. There were two set of opposing ideals. There were two opposing ideologies. There was neoconservatism. Right? Leo Strauss's neoconservatism. And he says at the same time, growing up on the other side of the world was uh, radical um, Islam or Wahhabism. And he talks in the documentary about how politicians used to promise dreams. They used, to, they used to sell the idea, they used to sell a vision of a utopian society to people in order to convince people to vote for them. That was Cortes's idea. Whereas he says now, or at least in 2003 when he made the documentary, he says now politicians spend their days promising to protect us from terrors many of which are fantasies, he says. And this is very interesting because Adam Curtis obviously doesn't know that the agendas unfolding at the moment have been around for many, many decades. In fact, we would probably agree they've been around for centuries. So when Curtis thinks that politicians used to be good people, they used to promise happy dreams of lovely societies and happy homes and education. Um, but now they, they've moved to promising to protect us from nightmares. He doesn't understand that the promising of dreams 
and uh, modern cities and modern societies and jobs and, you know, lower taxes and swimming pools and all of that sort of stuff. He doesn't realise that that was part of the agenda itself. And that things changed because over the decades, over the centuries, they have failed time and again to subjugate populations. No matter what way they've presented themselves, whatever way the elite or elites presented themselves, they could never dominate people. And I don't think Adam Curtis understands that. And the age of Islamic terror in the late 80s, early to mid 90s and noughties and pandemics and um, all of the other nasty things that politicians say we must be protected from. I mean, these days they tell us we must be protected from harms everywhere. Harms like somebody expressing an opinion about issues around race or gender or politics could be harmful, we must protect you. Listen to the first 90 seconds of Curtis because it's it's brilliant really because while he got it wrong, he also got it right in how things have evolved and what politicians do today on behalf of another of another party, of another agenda. Politicians are managers of public life, he says. In reality, they're not really in charge of anything. They are the message deliverers elites or great reset um, converts, whatever you want to call them, whatever name you want to give them, they control the politicians. The politicians deliver the message. But the agenda isn't written by the politicians. We, we know that. But we'll, we'll listen to this and then we'll, we'll part company for today, I think. In the past, politicians promised to create a better world. They had different ways of achieving this, but their power and authority came from the optimistic visions they offered their people. Those dreams failed. And today, people... I think by those dreams failed, I think what he means subconsciously is that those dreams, the promise of those dreams, better worlds, failed to, to ultimately control people and to keep people in line. You know, those dreams politicians talked about in the 50s and 60s were bullshit, they were lies. That's my opinion, let's hear a bit more. People have lost faith in ideologies. Increasingly, He says people have lost faith in ideologies. This was made in 2004. I think the opposite is true now. I think people are embracing ideologies, aren't they? Politicians are seen simply as managers of public life. But now, they have discovered a new role that restores their power and authority. Instead of delivering dreams, politicians now promise to protect us from nightmares. They say that they will rescue us from dreadful dangers that we cannot see and do not understand. And the greatest danger of all is international terrorism, a powerful and sinister network with sleeper cells in countries across the world. A threat that needs to be fought by a war on terror. But much of this threat is a fantasy which has been exaggerated and distorted by politicians. It's a dark illusion that has spread unquestioned through governments around the world, the security services and the international media. So it's spread unquestioned, this international terror threat, spread unquestioned through the intelligence agencies, governments and the media. 
and you can substitute radical terrorism, you can substitute, you can insert in its place, you can insert pandemics, you can insert climate change, you can insert bird flu, you can put in, we've mentioned already, migration, anything you want. What does the British government do today? It talks about protecting us from uncontrolled migration, even though it has no intention of stopping or slowing down uncontrolled migration. It says it will protect us from obesity. It will protect us from um, new and scary pandemics in the future. It will protect us from bird flu. It will protect us from Russia. And in return for that, you've got to give up your freedoms. Anyway, that's about it for me for, for today, I think. Thanks for listening in. I appreciate uh, your company. Uh, I do every day. I really appreciate it. I'll be back with you on Sunday morning for Sunday Morning Melodies at 10 o'clock UK time. As you might know, a completely different programme to this, completely different. It's got no relation to it whatsoever. I'll be playing music with um, some interesting stories attached to those songs. That's 10 a.m. to 12 noon every Sunday. And then this programme will return next Monday at 5 o'clock UK time. And we've got some really interesting guests booked in for next week. We'll be talking about the assassination of John Lennon, believe it or not. Yes, I've invited Giovanni Di Stefano back onto the programme to talk about some of the strange cases that he worked on when he was masquerading as a lawyer back in the day. Really like Giovanni. He's a rascal, but I like him. And um, he'll be on next week. I've other guests booked in as well. It's going to be an interesting week. That's uh, this coming Monday. In the meantime, have a fantastic weekend. Look after yourselves and one another. And I think today I'll close out with Bruce Hornsby and the range and the way it is. Take care of yourselves and one another as usual. It's... um, Bye from me. Big Sunday. Bye now.